0: now the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
2: It's 12.03 on Monday afternoon, January 16th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. This is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The markets are closed today for the Martin Luther King holiday. They will reopen tomorrow. Credit card lessons are best learned early on. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, Early is also best when it comes to teaching kids about investing. We're joined by Ed Jurtson, certified financial planner, founder of the Engage Wealth Group based in Chicago. The website EngageWealthGroup.com. Ed, thanks for joining us today. We've talked about a couple of times in the past year about uh, setting up an investment club. And now that uh, we're at the beginning of a new year and you're taking stock of all of the activities that you do with your family, uh, this might be as good. Good a time as any to uh, set up and not only a family investment club, but to get the ball rolling on some uh, financial topics that kids need to know.
3: Hey Rob, this is such a great and important topic, and the one thing to, to kind of guide your listeners, and it's something we tend to be presumptive about when we talk about that, are the parents are well informed as well when it comes to personal finance. So going back to the concept of this personal investment club, what an excellent opportunity to make this a family event, a family project where both the parents and the kids can be learning collectively, which, again, is very, very helpful for not only setting that deep foundation with your kids, but also helping the parents move forward in their own financial journey.
2: And outside of the uh, the, the journey of knowledge, the entire family will undertake together. I had this thought on uh, Saturday morning when we were doing the uh, first of three uh, activities with kids that day, you know, you go from one sporting event to the next, to the next, to the next, next, you know, next thing you know, it's Saturday evening. A family investment club not only is a chance to learn, but it's also something you can do without leaving your house. The time commitment
3: uh, doesn't have to be all that onerous. Exactly. And so whether you're gathered around a sporting event where there might be, let's say, sporting equipment or things that you look at, right? Shoes, clothing, where those elements are from a public traded company or watching tv again these things are right in our face every day all day so again what a great way to tie in concepts about investing in companies because again these are things we see on an everyday basis
2: how do you start i mean let's say you're a parent and you're listening to this and you say well this is a great idea how do you start in terms of you know how much money do you set aside to uh, actually uh, make the investments? How do you establish the guardrails? You know, what what are the ABCs of uh, getting this thing off the ground?
3: Well, I would guide your listeners on keeping things simple first. You don't have to take a whole bunch of money and start opening accounts initially. You can just literally start with a pencil and a piece of paper. Learn the basics first understand, keep a notebook, keep a log, keep something on the computer where the family comes up with ideas and investing. And once you get comfortable with just the basic concepts investing, then take the next leap in regards to opening an account and committing some funds. And for parents, those funds are committed hopefully to a retirement account at their work where they're investing mostly in mutual funds. But for the kids, you can open up accounts on their behalf or a family account where you're committing small amounts of capital. And then again, Again, executing those trades and then keeping track of the progress as you move forward.
2: Well, it's also a great idea to have the kids invest in something that interests them. We talked about uh, going to uh, basketball games or ice skating or what have you. But if you have a child who's, let's say, really into the Marvel Universe, you can say, you know what? That is uh, intellectual property owned by the Walt Disney Company and uh, go buy a share or two.
3: And that's, again, great premise in regards to keeping it fun. Don't make it onerous. Don't make it stressful, right? So making money, investing is great. But again, listeners have to realize, as we did last year, that markets don't always go in our favor. So these are all learning lessons to build upon that. Investing over a long period of time generally turns out well. But when you're investing in individual companies, you know families have to prepare for the ride. So ultimately, again, setting these foundational parameters in place and building together as a family, what a great way to spend time and then also be able to spend and invest for the future.
2: Ed Jertsen, certified financial planner, founder of the Engage Wealth Group based in Chicago, the website engagewealthgroup.com. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. There are important fundamentals that need to be kept in mind when teenagers are given their first credit card. Let's talk about some of the keys with Ted Rossman, industry analyst with CreditCards.com based in New York. Ted, thanks for joining us today. And before we begin, I kind of want to just give you my mental frame of reference about getting my first credit card. It was in high school. And at the time, that seemed like both an unimaginable luxury and a huge responsibility. But... Nowadays you need plastic just to get by. It's not a privilege anymore.
0: That's right. And there are important considerations here in terms of building credit and debt. You know, on the building credit side, I do think it's nice to get a credit card early. It's hard to do it before your 21st birthday though. You could technically get one as early as 18 in your own name if you can prove income. More often, though, you're going to be added as an authorized user on a parent's card. So I would offer two potential avenues here. One is I do like parents to add their kids as authorized users on their credit cards, maybe as young as, say, 16 or 17. And you can help use that as a training tool and a credit-building tool. But if that scares people from a debt management standpoint, you you mentioned early on about how using plastic is a necessity these days. Consider a debit card as a way to give the kids some plastic experience, but without debt and interest rates. And
2: then as a parent, if your child is getting his or her first credit card, and it's a credit card, uh, what are some good rules of the road to uh, impart early on?
0: I think you really need to monitor your kid's spending. American Express, for example, lets primary cardholders set spending limits on authorized users. So that might actually be a smart teaching tool. Um, at the very least, checking in with your child regularly, monitoring that spending, knowing what's appropriate and what's not. You know, I do think something like age 16 or 17 is a good time to get started because they're still living at home. They might be driving. They have some independence. But be clear about what kind of spending is okay, what the kid's responsible for – paying back. Um, you definitely don't want this to be the proverbial blank check.
2: Now, at the same time, you know, talk about 16, 17, uh, there are so many establishments that have gone cashless because of uh, COVID-19. Is that practical? Or should you begin with a debit card when they're just starting to go shopping, whether maybe 12, 13, 14, and then evolve over to a credit card when they hit 16, 17?
0: It's probably personal preference, but I do think there's a lot to like about that approach. There are actually some new debit cards oriented for kids like Greenlight and GoHenry. And Chase actually has a version of this called Chase First Banking. There are a lot of controls with these where sometimes you can even say what kind of stores or what kind of spending is approved or disapproved. You could potentially pay the allowance through this. You can reload money. I I think there's a lot to like about that as kind of training wheels. And then, as you said, maybe later on, layer in more of a true credit card. I think if you're only teaching your kids with bills and coins, though, you're doing them a disservice because I do think that cards and apps are increasingly the way that they need to learn how to manage money. And it is different.
2: Ted Rossman, industry analyst, creditcards.com, based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, weighing emerging markets against U.S. stocks. Cash,
0: credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
2: Emerging markets are off to a strong start this year. Let's learn more from Bill Uliveri, owner of Senegal Capital Management, based in Glenview. The website, SenegalCapital.com. Bill, thanks for joining us today. First off, let's, uh, for people who may have heard, heard the term emerging markets, either on this show or in Business Report, uh, but haven't aren't really familiar with what they are. Uh, what's kind of the layman's version of emerging markets?
4: Well, emerging markets are basically everything in the world except the United States and a little bit of Europe and some Asia Pacific. So, and, and again, every exchange traded fund, every mutual fund is a little bit different, but primarily emerging markets is Hong Kong, Taiwan, South Korea, India, Brazil, China, South Africa, Russia, Thailand, Malaysia, Philippines, Kuwait, like everything, every country that's a little on the small side, not fully developed and emerging into the economy, into the global economy. And so it's really interesting, Rob. And that is, I find, you know, as an investment manager, as an investment advisor, we take these broad forecasts, these big pictures of what's going on. But I always go back in hindsight, like look at a historical historical perspective of the markets. And here's something that really blew me away in the last few weeks of 2020. And that is roughly from 1998 until 2010, the S&P 500 was down about 10% and emerging markets was up about 290%. We managers like to call it the lost decade, but the lost decade was really not 10 years, but about 14 years. And so when you had dividend paying stocks and a little bit of yield. But for the most part, our markets went nowhere for almost 14 years, which actually kind of blew me away. I thought that was it was way longer than I expected. And so from 2010 until 2022, the QQQ was up 400%. The S&P 500 was up 230%, but emerging markets were down 10, over a, over a 10 or 12 year period. So the reason why I'm really excited about emerging markets, the same countries that I mentioned is because we had a really interesting long-term buy signal come out on our radar at the end of December, showing emerging markets positive compared to the U.S. markets. So this is something that managers are, I'm not saying they're frothing at the mouth that, I'm just saying that there, there, are some, there are some people really looking at this for opportunity and other people are going to get lost in the noise. But from my perspective, these long-term, decade-long shifts of the way money moves, This is incredibly, incredibly interesting to me. And, you know, for our own clients, uh, we're going to wait for a little bit of a pullback, but we are going to be adding emerging markets without a doubt, because this is going to be a two to 10 year run, I think. Uh, and we may we may trade sideways in our markets for a while.
2: Well, Bill, it's kind of amazing uh, to consider China the second largest economy in the world as an emerging market. But uh, I, mean, I would imagine, though, as they lift their covid restrictions that have been in place for three years, um Just look at the economic boom that took place in this country, and that was with COVID restrictions that weren't all that restrictive and they weren't in place for that long. Now you're talking about a population of a billion people that had to deal with uh, severe COVID restrictions for three years. That's a a lot of
4: pent-up demand to be unleashed. It's true, and I'm not exactly sure. I have to be honest with you, Rob. I don't know exactly why this is happening. All I know is that it is happening. And it's interesting that the emerging market mutual funds, they actually don't have a very big allocation to China, just as you say. how can the, the second largest economy in the world have such a small allocation? Well, they have they have their issues just like we have ours, right and And we're just seeing incredible uh, strength from some of the other smaller Asian nations in Brazil and South Africa. and I, I just think that that's really interesting. now which way this is going to play? I'm not a hundred percent sure. I can't say with one hundred percent certainty. All I'm saying is that maybe, you know, we, we were all on board with Japan. We were afraid Japan was going to buy the United States in 1989. And what happened? Japan peaked, and it hasn't even reached this 1989 high yet, I think, in the Nikkei. I'm going to have to go back and take a look at that another perspective. But we, we opened up negotiations with China in 1972. What if, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, what if China's kind of peak, peak Asia, and it these other countries that are going to be pulling the carts, Rather than China, just like we thought Japan was going to rule the world in 1989. So I'm just offering a different perspective, Rob. That's all I'm doing. And my analytics show that emerging markets, not China, are going to be pulling the cart for the next two to 10 years uh within the investment platform
2: bill uliveri owner of cynical capital management based in glenview the website cynicalcapital.com
1: i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me
2: in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chicago's news, traffic, and weather station. News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The life of Dr. Martin Luther King is celebrated across the country, including in his hometown of Atlanta. A candidate for mayor of Chicago picks up the endorsement of an Illinois member of Congre- uh, Congress. There are methods to help achieve multi generational wealth, including by forming a family investment club. It's Stock Picker Monday. We'll get a couple of ideas from an investing pro. WBBM Business. The markets are closed today for the Martin Luther King holiday. They will reopen tomorrow. Right now in Chicago, we have uh, well cloudy and breezy for the rest of the afternoon. Periods of rain. There can even be a thunderstorm in some spots But temperatures hovering around 40. And at O'Hara, we have light rain, 41 degrees. Same deal at Midway, 40 degrees under cloudy skies at the lakefront at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, several hundred people gathered this morning at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta to remember and honor the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. WSB Radio's Michelle Wright was there.
4: Carolyn and Jerry tell me it's important for them to be here celebrating Dr. King. I'm just getting off work at 6 o'clock this morning, but... I choose to come here. I also met Jen, who's here from Texas, and she says she wants to soak it all in. You
5: know, it's emotional. It's, It's a big deal just to see everything that's happened, and I think it's something that needs to be remembered and just celebrated how far we've come. We still have a lot
4: of work to do. At Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Michelle Wright for CBS News Atlanta.
2: Markets are closed. Markets are closed today in observance of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Let's take some time to discuss where they are with and where they may be headed with Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter based in Hammond, Indiana. The website is UpsideStocks.com. Chuck, thanks for joining us once again today. In in an earlier segment at 1020, we were talking about uh, whether or not the volatility is behind us in 2023 without uh, these uh, you know, really stunning highs and stunning lows off of uh, just little bits of data on a day-to-day basis that we saw last year. Um, where, where do, in, in, in general, though, where do you see the Dow going and the S&P 500 going uh, in 2023? I've heard some perspective saying that just technically the worst is yet to come. Uh, do you buy that particular piece of analysis?
6: Well, we kind of view the market through the prism of the Dow theory, as you know, Rob. And the Dow theory looks at the, the movement of the Dow Jones Industrial Average and Dow Jones Transportation Average. The last major signal under the Dow theory was a bear market signal or a reconfirmation of the bearish trend um, back in September. However, a number of things have to happen in order for the trend to change from bearish from bullish. And we've achieved Pretty much three out of those four things, and we're getting very close to the fourth thing. So, you know, if, in fact, you can see the Dow Industrials and the Dow Transports close above their November 30 levels, and we're only about uh, 1% away in the Industrials and 2% away in the Dow Transports, that would be a change in the trend according to the Dow theory from bearish to bullish. So that's kind of a long-winded way of saying the market, from our viewpoint, is is really at an important inflection point. It's not there yet. And, you know, you could have a failed new, new highs in both of those indices, and then the market goes down and retests its, its September lows. But we are close to two levels that would indicate a shift in the trend. And if that would happen, we would expect – 2023 to be, a uh, you know, a, a decent year for the market at that point.
2: And of course, there's always uh, outside uh, information, current events that can change the entire calculus. There could be a, a Russian breakthrough in Ukraine that could scramble all of the uh, uh, commodities markets for the rest of the year, or there could be a Ukrainian breakthrough that would also change the war in a different direction. So that that's always kind of hovering out there, uh, the possibility of current events uh, upending the markets. But looking just at this week, Um, based on the information that we have. We have more banks reporting before the opening bell tomorrow. And then we have uh, Procter & Gamble and Netflix reporting on Thursday. And what kind of picture will they paint of the economy and what type of information can investors act on once they report?
6: Yeah, they'll give you a little bit broader view of what 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 the consumer is up to, you know, both in Netflix and, and Procter and Gamble, and um, that'll kind of widen out the the scope, so to speak. Given that last week was primarily bank earnings, and you'll see more of those bank earnings this week. But you, you know, you, you mentioned Netflix, you mentioned Procter and Gamble. One I mentioned earlier today was was Alcoa, which is going to give you some sense on on the economically sensitive side of things, the so cyclical type stocks, and and that'll give you some indication at least based on their guidance, you know, if in fact we're headed for a more significant recession. And and that's, you know, something that we are, are obviously watching like everybody else. But one of the things we're watching to kind of give us an idea about uh, the economy are those Dow Jones transportation average, which I've, as I said before, maybe the most economically sensitive index there is. So if you, you know, if those Dow Jones transportation average can go to, to new highs, above those November levels, and again, we're only about 2% away, that would give me more confidence that we are not entering a a severe economic downturn. And now COA's earnings later this week will give some insight into that as well.
2: Netflix is like Peloton or Zoom, a stock that got a great deal of love uh, during the uh, pandemic shutdowns, when people had to stay home, when people were working from home, and there just wasn't that much to do. And it seems to have taken its lumps as uh, Americans and consumers have emerged from that pandemic cocoon. So just speaking as a media guy, I guess I'm a little biased. I'm curious to see as to how the uh, street will react to uh, Netflix later this week and what they're looking for.
6: Yeah, well, you know, and that's and and you hit the nail on the head. It's not so much what what Netflix reports. I mean, it looks like their earnings um, you know, estimates for for this quarter are somewhere around 44 cents a share. Um, but there's a huge spread in those estimates. The high-end estimates about a dollar 2 and the low end is 30. So, you know, there's a a big variance in there, which kind of reflects the type of stock Netflix is um, but, you know, it's also a stock that has gotten worked over, as you said. I mean, this stock, 52-week highs, $526 a share, and is down about 332 So the bar has been lowered for the company to beat those expectations. And if it is a true beat, you'll see the stock react positively to that. Uh, you know, I think there's still plenty of headwinds for Net- Netflix going forward, but it certainly is discounting a lot of potential bad news there already, and again, how that stock reacts to the earnings as opposed to what the actual number is, is really what's important from a, from a market perspective.
2: Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services, publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond, the website... UpsideStocks.com coming up next, taking a multi-generational approach to building wealth. Cashing in with conversation.
0: The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
2: One way to help emphasize investing is by making it a family affair. Let's discuss how to do that with Matt Mategan, CEO Blue World Asset Managers based in Chicago. The blog BlueWorldAM.com. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Let's. I'll give you a little anecdote. Uh, I'm responsible for uh, driving the kids to school two days out of the week before I go to the train, and of course uh, they listen to Dad's radio station in the car, uh, my two uh, uh, two of my daughters, and You know, they listen to the business report, and my oldest now has questions. You know, what's inflation? What's the stock market? How? uh, What does it mean when markets go up or down? And to answer those questions uh, as the host of a business show, you can sit them down and just uh, explain all of these concepts to them, or you can say, all right, go in there, get your hands dirty, we're going to start investing in stocks. And uh, starting a family investing club is a great way to get those hands dirty and answer some of those questions
5: it is it's very effective and as you suggested we use the family investment club as a very broad based learning tool it's not just about buying stocks and bonds uh, it's talking about the economy the things that impact the economy uh how to read financial statements how to conduct due diligence on on a private firm so uh I, it, the anecdote you just shared just warms my heart to no end because one of the biggest failings that my wife and I had seen over the course of our careers uh, consulting with uh businesses and uh, uh successful families was there was never a, a good succession plan in place or a plan to teach the next generation how the wealth was built to begin with, what's done to preserve and protect it, and and how to keep it growing. So the whole idea behind our family investment plan was just that, to make sure that everything that we know that needs to be known in order to perpetuate the success is passed down to subsequent generations. And, you know, now we're talking about uh, children, nieces, nephews, cousins. the, uh, The circle is getting wider, and it's a lot of fun, and it's extremely productive.
2: And someone's approach to money or financial conversations or investing—it's also kind of a good window into someone's mindset as well, because there are some people, even as adults, they find the whole idea of money and investing to be very intimidating, and that uh, one wrong move is uh, is is ruin is just around the corner. And then there are some other people, and you see this on on social media, and you see this on on web forums all the time. That uh, investing is not a way to uh, to to build wealth. It's a way to make a killing. And as a result, you know, a family investment club is a way to demystify the process and also take the whole notion of the get-rich-quick scheme out of the equation.
5: Yeah, and those are extremely important concepts. Uh, one, one of the things that prevents a lot of people from getting into investing at all is just that. It seems overwhelming, it seems scary, uh, what we teach and what we teach a seminar called Money as a Second Language. And one of the first things we go out of our way to do is make sure people understand that uh, at the end of the day, it's arithmetic. If you can do arithmetic, you can invest safely and comfortably. It's the words that you need to get comfortable with a lot more than the math. Uh, so demystifying it and taking that uh, that fear out of it, that sense of of being overwhelmed out of it, and uh, it again it it goes from being overwhelming to just just plain fun.
2: Matt Mategan, CEO of Blue World Asset Managers based in Chicago. Find his blog at blueworldam.com. Join us this time tomorrow for Travel Tuesday. And still to come, our Monday Stock Picker. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Stock Picker Monday. And helping us out today is Tim Grisky, Senior Portfolio Strategist at Ingalls & Snyder based in New York. Tim, thanks for joining us today. And you have two stocks uh, to, to tell us all about? And the first one is from the energy sector.
1: Uh, Yes, Rob, it's a pleasure to be with you on Martin Luther King Day. Uh, Yeah, let me just mention energy as a sector. It had huge outperformance in 2022. Great returns was really the only sector that had really good returns uh, for the year. We expect that to continue in the sector. Uh, Oil and gas is not going away for some time. There are lots of strong companies here. I'm going to highlight briefly ConocoPhillips, which has a 10-year plan for restrained investment, steady growth, improving returns, and most importantly returning cash to shareholders. They made a a commitment to do that, uh, returning 30 percent of their cash flow to shareholders. They're well-diversified geographically. Uh, They are a low-cost producer uh, and again high dividend uh, as well as stock repurchases
2: and uh, very quickly when you talk about uh, returning cash to investors and uh, sensible growth um, this is kind of a response to the last half of the last decade when the fracking boom took off and the energy sector really took its lumps
1: uh, it sure did uh, you know interestingly here you know they are scaling back on uh, Investments in the oil and gas area; uh, they do, they are investing to reduce emissions. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, while this isn't a pure green play, they are moving in that direction. They they see the writing on the wall.
2: And then uh, let's move on to your next stock, which is in the IT sector.
1: Right, ServiceNow, uh, which is a software company. Uh, their first move when they were created was to offer a, a best-of-breed software. Uh, for the IT service management part of corporations. Uh, And they really have a a great product there. Since then, they've broadened out into other departments uh, within corporations, human resources, service delivery, customer service, uh, the financial departments, uh, and along with industry-specific software solutions for uh, other uh, companies. so this is a really strong company. they are gaining market share uh, they have a very limited or a very high c- customer retention rate ninety seven to ninety eight percent and a really superior product and this is going to be just a great growth company long term
3: and
2: uh, once again the ticker symbols uh, for your selections ConocoPhillips, phillips c o p and serviceNow n-o-w tim grisky senior portfolio strategist at Ingalls and snyder based in new york thanks for joining us today you'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at wbbmnewsradio.com and the odyssey app
5: t-mobile has invested billions to
4: light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours